Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? So, anyway, it's all, it's all getting worked out, sort of. Um, I say sort of because my SAG health insurance runs out in a month and then I, we have to go on Cobra, which is going to be a huge nightmare. But you Wait, know, why does it run out? Because I didn't work at all enough in 2020. Oh, oh so is that something actors have to constantly all go the off? Time. Oh, that's annoying. How, so what's the threshold? How much do you have to work? You have to make, um, I think for like, there's two different plans for like the plan I was on the plan two. I think you have to make like. I want to say it's like 30,000 from acting a year. And I did that two years ago. I made a lot. But then, of course, this year, 2020, who did that? So they're also, the break they're giving is, I believe, two free months of Cobra, which is fantastic. I'll take it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, uh, if you had said to me six months ago, hey, they're going to be opening everything up and they're going to be telling you that you don't have to wear a mask if you've been vaccinated. I would have said, that's amazing. I'm so grateful. We can look forward to a summer 2021. It has not made me feel that way. It has made me feel very nervous and I don't see any other way but that this goes wrong. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. Maybe this is like a PTSD sort of syndrome, but it's just like, I, how do we know if people have been vaccinated that we're trusting people to tell, to let us know? No. And I think Uh, it's a bad idea to trust Americans quote of the decade it's a bad idea to trust americans to do most things so i i don't i feel the same and i think that it's really tricky for summer it's tricky for all of us but people with kids because of summer camps because of they're saying Mm -hmm. go to summer camps and summer camps are like a breeding ground i mean it's just a bunch of snotty kids running around for hours on end thank gosh most of it's outside but still you know it's just but still yeah, a lot of food sharing juice box sharing you know what i mean yes absolutely i mean don't get me wrong i'm sending my kids to camp. <laughs> i'm like don't get me wrong they're there now <laughs> giddy up giddy up on out of here but uh at the same time yeah i don't it just seems like wow this is really dicey this is really rolling the dice and seeing you know just like you know what it's like the government's like shrugging their shoulders right. like right let's just try this see if that works right Ho- and hopefully it- you won't die Right. And I think they're at their sort of, you know, uh, I'm sure, and I think we've mentioned this before, like, you know, money, people are probably pressuring the hell out of them. All Mm -hmm. kinds of businesses, Mm -hmm. huge businesses saying, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we need these concert venues to open up because that brings in all this money, you know, Lollapalooza and all that stuff is going to save Chicago's economy. Look, I don't know. So I was not a person who missed going to concerts and going because I rarely do that since having kids. Um, I'm realizing that the thing that I missed, and this is because I'm lucky enough to not have anybody in my life, you know, get sick. I mean, actually I, I do know people who've been sick, but nobody who's you know died. Yes. Or yes. Been close thank, to God. It. thank God. Um, 
the, the casualty for me has been novelty, just being able to go do something different. Mm -hmm. And I find myself wanting to do things that I otherwise would not want to do just because it's like, well, I haven't been there in a while. (laughs) Yes. It's so true. You know what I found myself missing was like um, an amusement park. And like, I don't, Mm. I'm afraid of roller coasters. I don't know what, but I was like, wouldn't it be so fun to just go to Disneyland or like, you know, I, 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 I'm like craving that kind of thing. And I think you're right. I think for me too, it's novelty. It's just being able to go. I mean, look, having the choice. Yeah. And then I found out Disneyland tickets are like a hundred dollars now a ticket or 120. Oh, and I was like, oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah. oh uh-huh. that's, that's a different kind of novelty. Okay. We, um, we yeah. are going to an amusement park in, um, a month. So <laughs> I guess everything I just said about being scared, I mean, I think we'll be wearing our masks. But anyway, we're going to Cedar Point. Do you know yes! about Cedar Point? Yeah. Yes. Have you ever been there? No. Wait, Cedar Point. Wait, are there more than one Cedar Points or no? It Where's- used to be called Cedar Point Raceway. Yeah, no, it's Roller Coaster City. It's got like 71 <gasps> rides. How do you feel about them? I love it. I, oh, I, I love absolutely every roller coaster. I, 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 I adore it. And my kids do too. My husband hates it. He hates going to amusement parks. He hates it. And his poor guy, it's going to be his fa- it's be Father's Day when we're going there. But okay. it's like, well, I don't know, dude. We, we have to do something. And yeah. they aren't going to want to do something. We are, to, to satisfy him, we are going to spend a day in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which also we all like, so that'll be good. Uh, but yeah, it's the thing about Disneyland and Disney World, which I also love both of those places. It's not that many rides, right? It's really mostly experiences, which is great. I love that. I love uh, the. My son and I want to do. There is a seven hour behind the scenes tour at Disney World where they show you all kinds of stuff. That, that is we, so cool. Isn't that cool? They tell you, they show you things like, uh, you know, what's, what's in the building, you know, what's actually it behind these facades. Yes. You see those second levels of, and yeah. And how, and animatronics and how certain things are made. And yeah. I love that. Cool? That would be real. That is really cool. Yeah. So I would love to go to Disney. I mean, we'll see um, when and how, but um, yeah, I miss that kind of stuff. And I also miss just like, um, wandering around not malls necessarily but the neighborhood shopping um and window shopping and just doing going into little stores and now when you go into like yesterday i went into a little store and it was a whole procedure wait and it's fine look it's fine i'm not saying we should open now but what i'm saying is it is whether it's a small or big inconvenience these are inconveniences that have that have that weigh on the psyche they just weigh on the psyche whether or not they do you know we we're we are like oh we should be so lucky to have this problem fine i'm lucky to have this problem but it's still to me it's like one of my things for my mental health was just walking around to little boutiques and Mm. shopping and like looking at fabrics and textures and colors and now it's like i i go you know to target in and out and that's not satisfying that. And so these little stores, you know, you can only have a couple people, they're little, little stores, you know, they can only have a couple people at a time. They ask you to sanitize when you walk in, they ask you, it's just, you know, whatever it's changed. It's changed. You, yeah. You don't get to mix it up anymore. Right. That's the thing. It's like, you have to be very 
goal-oriented when you go someplace. Go yes. and get your stuff and don't look around at, you know, too much and just get in and get out. I have a friend who still um, makes her kids, when they get off the bus, they take off all of their clothes in the garage and get into the shower. And she sprays down their backpacks with Lysol. She's terrified yeah. of getting the I mean, and for a lot of people, that's been the casualty. Like they're, you know, they may not recover anytime soon from this fear of something invading them, which I totally get. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, and they, and the thing is they, you know, they did studies that like, you know, people are, are getting sick from Lysol. So like the, not, 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 not getting COVID, but getting respiratory infections from too much Lysol. So now we've got that going. I mean, it's great. People are like spraying themselves with Lysol. Oh, that's not not good. You should not do that. I'm pretty sure if you read the fine print, it says don't spray it in your eyes or nose or mouth. Don't put hand sanitizer on your face. Don't put it in your mouth. Mm. I mean, people were getting crazy right when that, you know, so I think it's, that's gotten a little bit better. But still, people are overusing the cleaning products now. Then remember when that dude told us to inject bleach? Yeah, right. I mean, come on. He told. Didn't he tell us to put it in our buttholes? No, someone said put that the way to put it in was in their butthole. We lived through like um, a a nightmare, a hellscape nightmare of a freak show. And that's even being mean to freaks in a freak show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, uh, it's it mm-hmm. was a it was a hellscape. That's the great. But way you to know put something? It. There are people uh, who live around here who are still. Uh, I saw some somebody posted something the other day. A picture of like protesters with Trump twenty twenty flags and stop the steal. And this thing that is going on in Arizona with the quote unquote recount. It's thankfully, I feel the media is getting a lot further in the direction of just being like, this is ridiculous. I mean, for a long time, they were just trying to be it's ironic because everybody always says the media is so biased. But media I was consuming was trying to be so impartial, like just stating the facts. This is what they're doing. And now when I hear people reporting on it, they're saying, and it's just a lie. And there's no reason they should be, you know, pursuing this. But here they are people be cray you know conspiracy theories are really fun i actually just had a conversation with my son about this yesterday because he is 15 he's like i'm kind of i'm kind of like into the he's into the illuminati i go listen you know it's fun it's fun to think and 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 what's also true is if you think it's more fun to think about those things than about the conspiracies that are really happening. Like right. it's a cabal of pedophiles that are, yeah. you know, Jeffrey, that this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing right. has been uh, exposing. And did you see something about Bill Gates maybe being yes. in this? Yeah. Yes. It's like, of course, every fucking rich dude is, I mean, I shouldn't say every, but you know. It's, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of privilege. It's uh, its own to, pandemic. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think conspiracy theories, now the big one is this 5G radiation. Have you heard about this? <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. I don't really know I, anything about it. I don't know, it. but it's come up twice. It came up in a conversation with my husband who was talking to someone and he's like, you know, so-and-so really believes in 5G radiation. And I'm like, okay. And then I was talking to um, someone else who was like, yeah, we have this friend um, who's really into 
doing, or we know this woman that's really into protecting herself against 5G radiation with $800, $800 like ionizer, like de-radiate. That is like a joke. It doesn't do anything. That's an LED something. And it's $800 to purify yourself from the 5G radiation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, like you're going to believe that and you're not going to believe that somebody is swindling you for $800. Right. Also, did you never, did you never read the emperor's new clothes? Like, did you never read it? What is happening? But, 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 but like my old mentor slash psychiatrist would say, there is truth in these conspiracy theories. So the bottom line is some of this stuff does give off radiation. It's true. We all, everything gives off radiation that has, that's, I, I, as I understand it, that has, you know, an electric charge, there's always radiation given off. It's just the levels and people like grasp on to these sort of 5g radiation i'm like dude and i think they said there's more radiation if you go get an mri or an mammogram than all of the 5g radiation that you'll ever experience in your whole lifetime so if you get a mammogram and maybe these people don't do that either so there you go yeah i'm sure they don't um i always think people who believe in that stuff it's must be so exhausting to have to go through all right because it's like it's people who get really far down that rabbit hole there's so many things they can't eat and there's so many potions that they have to imbibe and then there's so many gadgets and it's like it's a full-time job just to protect yourself from whatever you it's it's I'm sorry to say it's paranoia. It's, it's a somewhat acceptable form of paranoia. It is. You know, what if those people could get proper treatment for their paranoia, then they could save time and money about all these rituals that probably don't work. I wonder if you stripped them of their paranoia, like, like we always talk about psychology is everything. What, what is the core of, I need to believe that something else is in control. Like what is, I think it's a control issue, right? So I think that if we strip away all the conspiracy theories, what we have is, and I read this in a book, so I'm kind of stealing it, the storytelling animal book, but that I am not in control. Bad things happen to good people for no reason. Right. And then we're stuck with, is there a God? And nobody wants to deal with that. So they just go to the parent, you know, and if there is no God, what the hell are we doing on this planet? And what is our purpose? And I think this gives people, those theories give people purpose in their life. And then they feel like their purpose is also to educate other people about these so-called, you know, um, uh, these uh, so-called things that are going to get us, you know? Sure. And if that works, and if you do help, if people feel helped by that, and you're being of service, I have no problem with that. And 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 if you, and if it makes you feel better to do all these things that I consider cockamamie rituals, right? If it makes you feel better, then I don't have a problem with that either. It's it's the um, it's the way in which that t- thinking tends to overshadow everything else, it, like to the point that nobody trusts science and nobody trusts you know things that are just empirically true well yeah that's we start getting into the realm of like what's you know that people are really questioning very basic elements that we've already really figured out like flat earthers and stuff i don't know it just yeah well that's a whole i mean (sighs) i mean you you just get a hobby. Just do something. But maybe that is their hobby. It's believing that the earth is flat. Also, 
I, but also, I, why do they care? Like, cares? let's say, let's say it's okay. So then what? What's right. The, what's the deal? <laughs> right. I think it's like, then everything's a lie. Then the moon landed then this. And okay. So then what? I think, I think we're going down the right path here. I think if we say, and then what? Like as a therapist, if we were treating these people, it would say, okay, and then what? Okay. And that means, and you get to the core and I swear to all that is holy, the core would be, I am not in control. Bad things are going to happen to me. I can't tolerate that idea. Hey, let me run this by you. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I'm writing this new pilot and, 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 you know, I always thought, oh, will someone steal my idea if I talk about it on the podcast? But no, it's copywritten. And if you do, I'll come after you and I'm, I'm whatever, but my, it leads me to my, my new pilot, which is about the me too movement. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it was called hold my calls and it, it has gotten way darker and there's murder involved. And now, and she's, and she's the, the, the hero is an sort of an anti-hero and it's called me three because she's involved in the, in the stuff. So no one, yeah. So it's all about what happens when a woman or female identifying person participates in the, in the, in a me too scandal and then covers it up and then she becomes a champion. She's a champion. My, my character, my lead character is a champion for women and for underdogs. And then it comes out that she actually participated 10 years earlier in a horrible me too, like disgusting scandal thing. And what does she do? Does she take responsibility? Does she keep covering it up? She's now a big wig. And it's just about like the fact that like, look, my basic thing is, and I don't know how you feel about this. It's like, everyone fucks up. Everyone fucks up. I have done things. I did things as an assistant in Hollywood that I should not have done. They weren't criminal. They were not, they were shady. So shady stuff in a lot of ways. Did someone make me do it? No. Did I participate in shady shit? Yes. Um, and it's like, we, I think we all, I don't know anyone that hasn't for whatever reasons, like I had good reasons. I was young. I was trying to fit in. I'm a people pleaser, but I did some weird shit. And so that's the premise. And I think that we all just need to get to the point where we say, yeah, we all, it's responsibility. It's like, Mm -hmm. do we, that's the part. Do we take responsibility? I think you said it where like people can say like, Hey, I got fired, canceled, whatever for this reason. It wasn't the actual thing that went down, but you know what? I probably should have been fired anyway. So, you know, yeah. The only umbrage I take at all with cancel culture is when the, when people are getting too giddy about pointing the finger at other people without ever saying, and you know, I've done it too, or, you know, I've done my own share of bad shit. I love that. I think that that's it. I think that's a very important message because part of what makes for a lot of the problems that we have in our culture is uh, just this very black and white thinking. Like right. you're either in or you're out, you're either good or you're bad. It's almost like you're either a saint or you're whatever, right. like you to be gone and it's just not like that for not even one single person is it like that no and it's not yeah so i love that i love the title that's so cool and didn't this happen to one of the maria whatever her name was um this there was a woman and i'm 
I all I remember about her is that she's brunette and maybe she was an actress and director slash producer. Oh. And she had been not a huge part, but she'd involved herself in the Me Too movement. Yeah. I forget I forget who she called out. Um, and then somebody called her out for doing this with a something with an underage boy. Yeah. I mean, maybe I mean, he was like sixteen or seventeen. So it's 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 it happens. And also I just think about I just think about the stuff that I've done and said and it really stemmed from me wanting to not be the victim and wanting to be in on and and not and fit in and fit in and fit in and be part of a culture that I thought was cool and I thought was um important and I just really wanted to be a member of the club so I didn't said things that now looking back I'm like oh my god like oh my gosh just shady stuff just shady stuff yeah me too me three and yeah. um that actually is the thing that I was going to run by you today, which is just about like how how good or bad are you at um, saying when you're wrong? And I don't just mean apologizing. I mean, because I'm realizing that it's easier for me to apologize than it is for me to say I was wrong. I really bristle even when I'm very obviously wrong, when I know I'm wrong. Yeah. I, there's something about me. It's just this pride thing that it. I, I really am gulping when I have to say that you was, were right. Yes, I was wrong. So I think it. I mean, it all comes back for me. I have a similar thing, but I also watched my mom do this. She. I told you. I think I've said on this show that like, it, it, if she had to say she was wrong, she would scream it at you okay i was wrong that's the only she had to punish you while she said she was wrong it was crazy so i learned that i do have a thing where i i feel humiliation when i'm wrong um so mine goes to humiliation and i and i i think i don't bristle but i bristle in a different way i i wither i wilt i mm. wilt and wither when i have to say it and then um but it is hard and i think it comes from and my guess would be for you too like growing up in a place where being wrong was not acceptable you could not make mistakes and if you did you certainly weren't gonna admit your vulnerable mistake to someone else Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Absolutely. And and what's always so crazy to me about these things is nobody ever has to say anything about it for you to, to grow up with it. And so my thing that I'm wrestling with recently is that I have heard each of my kids say in different ways, some version of, but you don't have that prop. You don't do that thing wrong. You don't. And I realize like I'm trying to act like I'm perfect with them. Which is hilarious because internally I'm saying like I'm so I'm only imperfect. I wow. only have flaws, wow. and yet I'm the image. Like I remember one of one of them said it was something like, "Do you ever get sad or do you ever?" Wow. And I was like, "Yeah," and and he was like, "You don't show it. I would have never known that you ever feel." And I thought. Oh my God, what is wrong with me? Um, and I realize it's just really hard to to make myself smaller, not smaller, it's vulnerable. Just to vulnerable. say, like, yeah, I I'm really bad about that. And I 
I really made a mistake about that. So that's the thing I'm trying to incorporate more is just being able to say out loud, because I also I might even have the thought internally, but I'm not projecting it out. I'm not, you know, that's why people say and even I think you've said, I come off as like being having it all together. Mm-hmm. Because that is my defense. Like I I don't show weakness by saying wow. I'm wrong about something. It's so interesting, and 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 I think yeah, I've gotten be- I've gotten better at it, but it's still hard. But like one thing about me, like I really pride myself on being a caring, loving human. But I do not remember birthdays. Like I cannot remember your <laughs> birthday. I cannot remember my sister's. Sometimes I just and I I am bad at that. That is my. But I, before I'd be like, that's not true, and now I'm like, no, I cannot do it. Is a, it is a real shortcoming, and I pride myself on being super like you know like I really want to take care of people supportive and I can't do there's something about it and you know I think that can also stem from childhood stuff like my our birthdays were such a chore for my mom she loved us I'm not saying she didn't love but it was like a whole production and all the this for the birthday of the cake a resentful a resentful production Uh Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that I think has carried with me so yeah so then I just take to now I'm like well okay I'll just send flowers when I think it's their birthday (laughs) so imagine if your mother could have done the defending your life thing and watched or the whatever Christmas carol thing and watched her whole thing and and known that the thing that she was telling herself which is hey, I don't have time for it. I don't want to do it. But at least my kids will always feel like I really celebrated their birthday. And to know that actually they did not feel that. They only felt that you felt it was a big chore. And they kind of wished that they didn't even have a birthday. Right. I mean, wow. What if she and then what if she could go back and like scramble it and do it totally different and say, wow. I love you and it's hard for me this particular week. Any chance we could do it a different week? Any chance your father could help more? Any chance? I mean, what if she had said to you, like, even if at a very young age, because I have an almost eight-year-old, she could do this. If I said to her, I want you to plan your own birthday party. I want you to make me a guest list. I want you to write down the things you want to eat. I want you to say what the activities are. Because she would love to do that. She would make her feel so grown up. I would have loved to do have done that. You would have loved to do that. And then yeah. all your mom would have had to do is like buy the stuff. Yes. And call them. It would mom. have been so much better. But she was trying to be perfect. She was trying yeah. to be perfect. And she, just like you say, and she hated it to try to be perfect. And she thought that nobody knew. Right. She hated it. But everybody knew. Right. And so it's like here, PSA, man, woman human it's okay to hate to do certain things it doesn't mean you're not going to do them but it's okay to feel like oh i can't i don't want to do this or you know or this isn't my jam it's okay to do that even if you i i would venture to say even if you have young people you're 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 a parent it's okay to not like certain things right and not as long as you own that and you're not trying to pretend like it's something other than that and you're not trying to do some song and dance about like i love (laughs) i love everything about this no you know they're hard they're hard they symbolize a lot of stuff also kids birthdays symbolize a parent getting older too 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't true. think my mom really dug that idea. So anyway, yeah. I just, yeah, that's really interesting. So I think. So we're, it's yeah. tw- in 2021, we are owning, we're learning what our mistakes are. We're getting v- more vulnerable with, you know, admitting it, uh, owning up to it. And we're encouraging everybody to do the same and to make art out of it. Yay! Today on the podcast, we're talking with Siler Thomas. Siler was ahead of us at the theater school, and um, we didn't really know him, but we get to know him in this interview. And he's he's a he's a very interesting person and someone with a huge heart. He's a man of faith, um, and he's also someone who has gone away from acting and come back to acting and has some really wonderful stories and it's just super charming. So please enjoy our interview with Siler Thomas. It's a win. Is that a W flag behind you? It's a win for us. That's exactly. It's a real one. Like from that they actually flew over a game. (gasps) That's how big they are. Isn't that awesome? Humongous. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Do you still yeah. live in the area? I do. I'm in okay. the northern suburbs. Yeah. Which, Which one? one? Lake Bluff is where I live and I work in Lake Forest. So Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Siler yes. Thomas, congratulations. You survived theater school. I did it, you guys. I really you did. You did it. You really <laughs> and, did it. And you have also survived listening to our podcast. Survived? Are you kidding me? I I devour them. Oh, I love them. I really do. It's I mean, it's like, especially when it's people that I know. But it, when it's people I don't, I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. And there's usually, I mean, it's 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 hard to know. Is it just because I love me and my own history, or is it you know? But I I, I oh my gosh, I learned so much. It's yeah, been, I think. Oh, it's wonderful. I think. Um, what our vision of it is, is that uh, for people who didn't go to our theater school at this time, yeah. um, that what we're trying to expose is just the process of yeah. learning about yourself through, right. and most people do it in college. I mean, that's like a big time of learning about yourself is for totally. most people is in college. And, but also even more broadly, just surviving anything that was challenging and and the all the elements that are necessary in order to do that absolutely and and i did read your article that you sent us thank you for sending that it was very interesting and and just off the bat i would love to hear more about so so in this article you talk about having a little annoyance with tim tebow and his very out there faith and it was right. brought to your attention by a, prof- a professor, a former professor, that you uh, maybe also uh, felt on the outside of things, professing your faith when you were in school in a place that probably didn't you didn't have a lot of compadres in that right <laughs> in that right. way. Well, yeah. So that's the experience I had. Is I was like, you know, Tim Tebow, will you knock it off, buddy? Like it's come on. Everybody, this is back when he was, you know, kind of a, a rookie in the league and everybody's talking about him. And then and then, yeah, this professor goes, Yeah, basically compares me to Tim Tebow. And I'm like, oh no. Was that me? Was I that annoying? Was I, you know, 
uh, sort of walking around like everyone's like rolling their eyes at me. Um, and, you know, of course, I'll, I'll never know and we'll never know what we were like when we were 19, whatever. Um, but I sort of where I came to at the end of the of the piece was to say, well, maybe, but I was I was really I was trying to be faithful. I was I was I was trying to discover who I was, why I was put here, you know, and trying to be faithful to that. And and it made me kind of give Tim a little bit of a pass. Like he's doing the same thing. It rubs people the wrong way. You know, people are kind of get tired of it, but that's really what he's doing. He's not trying to annoy anyone. He's, he's just, he's, that's kind of, I think that's who he is. Like he's, he's a kind of a cheesy dude and, you know, like <laughs> just, just feels that way. So, yeah. But were you just coming to your faith in college or had, Pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up going to church, but, but wasn't really into it. I was really into theater. I mean, that was sort of all I wanted to do. And um, so kind of towards the end of my, of my high school year, I actually quit the theater program at my school my last year, um, just because I, I was sort of tired of some of the drama there and, uh, but still wanted to pursue it. And so I was, you know, applying to theater schools and and the whole thing and and still very excited about it but as I was entering it was just like I, I was just learning so much and grow and just like wow this is all kind of coming alive for me and honestly my first year was really hard because I, I I was like am I supposed to do this am I supposed to be here are Christians supposed to I'm just asking all these questions about like is this a thing am I and and I, you guys talk a lot about the whole being cut system. And I honestly was like, well, maybe I'll just get cut and then I'll know for sure that I'm not supposed to be here. There's a, you know, you're not alone in yeah. that. There's a, yeah. there were a lot of people we talked to sort of, um, because we're young and stuff are sort of looking for an intervention that yes. is outside of the, ourselves in order to tell us what to do and who right. we are. And when Gina right. and I talk about that a lot, um, I'm wondering, did you, when you say are Christians supposed to be here, say more, yeah. but can you say more yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, I just didn't know, like, here I am in this place and I'm, I'm asked to, I, I don't know what show they're going to put me in. I don't know what, you know, just all these. And I, and I really was just kind of like, I had the thought, should I go into playwriting? Because then I can control what I'm, you know, doing. And then I'm not, I, I was just, and I did feel like, I don't really know a lot of people like me in this setting. Wonderful people, great people, but I just wasn't sure how I would fit in exactly. And, you know, I, I've, so the church I started going to is in Evanston and uh, they started um, someone, someone there started something called the Vineyard Center for Artists. It's called the, the church is called the Vineyard. This guy that still attends that church and, and kind of his, his life's work a guy named Dick Ryan is to encourage Christians in the arts. And here he was at this church I was attending. So it was a, you know, such an encouragement, such a sort of a sign, if you will, of like, uh, and, and helping me learn. Yes, you are. This is what you were made for. You know, Christians are supposed to, to be involved in the arts and not just to make bad Christian movies, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. Like left to, behind. To engage, that's, oh, oh my heavens. No, right. please. No. Um, I mean, that's, a, that's fine for a certain group, but not for me. And, 
Yeah, right. And it's not just to go and do only, quote, Christian stuff, but and, and that's some of that's fine, too. But to to really engage and, and use your gifts in in every you know way that God has made you. So to represent all the, the complete pe- pic- picture of who you are. Absolutely. So I, I was I had such a I'm so grateful. And, and I think I, I, I was able to stay in the school because of the encouragement of of Dick and other people around me that were just encouraging me and not saying, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. And, you know, I mean, there was you know, sort of famous story, the band U2, one of my favorite bands back in the day, they were involved in this church that basically said, you have to make a choice. You have to either be a Christian or be in a rock band. And they basically said, I don't think those are the options, but thank you for sharing. And they left that church and continued doing what they, you know, did. Wow, I didn't but, know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that either. So um, I'm wondering if this church that you're mentioning is going to solve a little mystery for people who are in our class. And you you may know about this. In our third year, um, people we had a bunch of people mm. become born again Christians. And we haven't ever talked about this on the podcast. To me, the way it felt was one day I came to school and everybody was dressed like little house on the prairie. (laughs) I'm sure it was more gradual than that. I'm sure it wasn't that, um, I'm sure it wasn't also that like dramatic. Um, and it, and, and to your point, was, was this going to be a good place for them? Because I I did experience people who couldn't deal with the material yeah. Didn't didn't want to deal with the material. It caused them problems. I have we haven't talked to anybody who, yeah. who did that, but um, I'm wondering if there's any connection. I think I know of at least one person who was a part of that. I was gone by then, so um, you know, and I I kind of wish I had could have been around to maybe help because I really find it to be, and again, each person's conviction is just going to be different. But you know, my conviction was that there is a real, uh, you know. Uh, especially, you know, for me, I, I just felt a real sense of freedom that the part that I'm playing doesn't have, you know, I mean, even in, even in a, a play about Jesus's life, someone has to play Satan, someone has to play Judas, you know what I mean? Like, so you're playing a part and there is a line, you know, there's a line for, for all people. There, there certainly would have been a line for me. I was, I was never asked to do anything that, that I, you know, crossed the line. I had to, you know, I had to swear in a few shows that, that I, I was like, oh, this is going to be a little weird for like the freshmen that are in my Bible study to come and hear the guy leading their Bible studies say, you know, say some of this stuff. But I just sort of felt the freedom to say, uh, hey, this is this is the Christian life is bigger than just sort of, you know, good and bad. And and, and what I found is I, I found in so many like when I sort of let myself even in shows that I would be a little bit in this is subject material is woo this is a little this is stretching it for me I found themes in them that were just oh my gosh this is people crying out for God this is you know like I'll I'll give you an example I was in a show I was in a show my the the uh, my my last fourth year it was a workshop uh directed by J Paul Skelton there were four of us in it and it was it was called the house guests brilliant show uh you've got two couples 
And then at the end of act one, it all falls apart and there is a couple swap. So the other couple ends up with the other couple and then chaos reigns in the second act. Someone is blind. Another person, Stephen Davis, his, I think he lost his hands yes. and his legs. Yes. Do you remember this? I do. You saw this. I did. I did oh, see it. Had, it. Okay, had okay. no, had no hands. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And he's in a wheelchair in the second act. And it is, it's actually a hilarious play. Like, and it's just, it was one of the most fun experiences I had. The whole cast was amazing. Ellen Scarpacey, Carrie Seston, me and Stephen Davis was the four of us and Jay, who's just a riot. Uh, but the end of the, and this, the, the playwright, uh, is someone who would never, you would never have, have called a, have anything to do with religion or Christian or anything. The end of the show, they're all back together, chaos around them. Their hands are, they're holding their hands. They're, they, they, they look to the sky and they say the word love. That's the final moment of the wow. play. I, you know, just like, and here I was this little, you know, Christian dude, like reading this show, hey, what's going on, what's going on? And then you get to the end of it. And it's like, oh my gosh, this, the theme of this play is all of these people are crying out for something greater than themselves. You know I mean? So things like that, where if, if, if you just sort of go at the surface of it, oh, there's a lot of swearing. Oh, there's some themes that are not really, but if you kind of push past that, you go, Oh my word, what a what a beautiful play and a beautiful expression of a human need for something greater than ourselves. So Wow. How did you um did you did you find that you were criticized for your faith at the theater school? Like did you feel people were weird I, to you? I really didn't feel that way. And it was interesting. I, I I suppose it's possible that this professor who reached out to me, he might have heard some of that from some other professors or whatever. I never felt bullied. I never felt sidelined. I never felt marginalized. I never, in fact, quite the opposite. I, I feel like, and so my, like my second year, I decided to start a Bible study for my classmates. We're just, and we just would go through some scriptures and like, most of the people in my section at one time or another, we would do it in the courtyard. In fact, I remember this one, you know, one time this, this classmate of mine, she's got a, a cigarette in one hand and a Bible in the other. And she's just like, you know, flipping through the script. It was amazing. You know, it was fantastic. Uh, and so everybody was very curious. They would, I, I, I invited a lot of them to come to my church and a lot of them came and a lot of them, I think were, were moved by what they found there because it wasn't just sort of like, people and perfunctory hymnals and whatever, like they, they were quite expressive in their worship. And, you know, so they, I think they enjoyed that experience. I remember doing a, um, like a, a voice project my last year and I, it, I incorporated scripture and I incorporated a, singing a worship song and the people in my section were so, I just felt them on board. You know, it wasn't their thing. They weren't like coming along with me but they were so supportive and, and I think they, yeah. So I, I really felt not just, I've, I've, I mean, I, honestly, there's, there's, I've been in more Christian settings where I felt more judgment than I felt in the theater school. So, mm. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so a few minutes ago, you said, keep me away from these bad Christian movies or television yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll try to find a good way to say this. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I see exactly what you're talking about. And I'm curious why there is so much 
re um, Christian representation in media that's not very good. Do you have, mm. do you have an, a theory about why that might be? Yeah. Why is Corbin Burnson, you know, in every, like, <laughs> I just saw another one, another movie. He's like, he's all he does. You know, I, I, um, it, it is disappointing. I think I probably would rather answer a different question or, or just sort of say what I'm encouraged by is people like, like if you see the stuff that Terrence Malick is doing recently, I, something happened to that dude, right? I mean, he's, he is one of our sort of most brilliant movie directors and he's doing stuff. I mean, tree of life is, is mesmerizing. One of the greatest movies, I think of the last, you know, kind of 20 years. And it's putting his faith using wonderful actors and using, but sort of, it's not just this sort of predictable. So I think there's not the, I mean, if you, if you see Martin Scorsese, he did, he did silence. Part of why no one I think really cared about that movie is it's really a Christian movie. Like it is, there's the themes of that movie are, are they so resonate with people of faith that people who don't have much of a faith are like the, the centerpiece of the movie is, do I, uh, you know, what do I do when, when I'm, when my life is at stake and I'm asked to renounce my faith. And I, you know, if you, if you don't have a, if you, if you don't have a strong faith, you're like, well, just renounce your faith and don't die. What's wrong? You know, it's like, it's sort of that, that tension isn't there unless you have this strong faith and you're like, well, what do I do? So you have certain people like that, even, I mean, sound of metal has themes. So you'll see these movies, that, these themes pop out where you're like, I did not see that coming. So I'm, I, I guess I'm more encouraged by stuff that I see where there are uh, themes of faith and themes of, of I think there's just there's just different kinds of artists out there. And, and I, so I don't really want to denigrate like and the occasional Christian movie comes along like there's one of them that came along that I expected to hate. And I was like, oh, here we we watched it as a staff. So I'm on staff at a church. We watched it together. And I was like please don't make me do this. This is going to be torture. And I was moved by it. I was like, oh, hey, good job, guys. Like this was not your classic, you know, generic Christian movie. And then occasionally you see the ones that are and you'll kind of roll your eyes and move along. But I'm more, I guess I'm more encouraged by the people that do, that are taking a little bit different way, angle of, of, of talking about bigger themes in, in more creative ways. And I think there's just also being actually living in Los Angeles now, there is sort of this um, people had to keep from what I saw their faith like undercover under wraps and sort of sneak it into stuff because there was mm -hmm. this and I was sort of raised in this liberal household religion is the opiate of the masses kind yeah. of you can't have art and have a faith kind of a situation. Yeah. Um, and I think at what you're speaking it's it's interesting it's like there's the 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 yeah what people think faith-based stuff has to be which is yeah. cheese ball and then right. there's what when people are sort of walking the walk they put it into their art and it's just better art in general that's right right oh my gosh i oh mean gosh. and there's a lot of bad art in general not just faith-based right. art. Right. Right. but yeah. I, I guess my question too is when you were when you during at the theater school and then when you left the theater school yep. did you still feel how was that encounter when you left the theater school where you're like oh my gosh now the big choices come or was it this more of the same in terms of your faith and in terms of the choices you made as a performer and a and a and a and a faith-based person. Yeah. So for me, I, 
as my time in theater school was was kind of winding up, and I man, I I just had a great experience. It wasn't overall, you know, it was challenging. There were there were bumps along the way for sure, but overall, just I would never, I wouldn't do a thing differently in terms of that decision. I learned so much about myself. I learned, I enjoyed my time, you know, in the shows I was in. Just just loved it. Um, but my so my last year at DePaul, we started a, a, a Christian group on campus and I was just kind of doing that in my free time. And I found myself kind of coming alive more and more like, this is so fun. This is really engaging. I'm enjoying the theater stuff, but what I'm really fired up about is this group that we're starting. So I was kind of like, Hmm, I probably need to pay attention to that. Um, so even, you know, I was open, even like in the showcase, I was like, you know, in the 0.01% chance that someone says, kid, we want to make you a star. Like, okay, great. I know that doesn't happen. Uh, but if it does, okay. But and it didn't, of course. And so then that next year, I kind of, I, I worked part-time and then I ended up going to seminary and then pursuing you know ministry from there with warmth in my heart towards my kind of, you know, passion for the arts, but with a real fire for ministry. Um, so, Which is its own kind of yeah. performance, really. I mean, sure is. It absolutely is. Teaching, yeah, I, being a yes. being a, a, a religious leader. These are people yeah. find performance in a quite a surprising yeah. number of ways. And what's interesting, I've sort of been thinking about this recently, is that when I teach, so I most I mostly work with young people, but I I do some I teach to the, the whole congregation as well. And you know, a a, a pastor is playing a part. They're just playing themselves as the teacher. But you have to find this about, because you can't just sort of go up and be like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, here's my here's my thing. Like, you've got to bring energy and you've got to bring excitement. And you're doing two, sh- like, we've got two services. So I'm doing two shows a day, baby. And I've got to bring that same, you know. Sometimes, on Sunday. I mean, when it was, uh, I did this one Easter Sunday where I did it four times. I was going to two services and I'm, oh, you know, and God. it's like, so you better believe that the theater, you know, part of it is you want to give that 7:30 crowd the same, you know, show that that the the, the 11 a.m. crowd is going to get. So but you're but you want to be authentic. You want to be right. yourself. You don't want to I don't I'm not I don't want to put on because there aren't honestly people that kind of this is my pastor voice and now I am yes. teaching the bible to you. Mm-hmm. So I have to be authentically myself but also you know, I can't be, well, I'm, I'm authentically tired right now. Too bad. You got to be energetic for these people. So there's so much of that. Um, element did you, of, yeah. do they teach that in, when you went to seminary? Like, do you, I mean, really. you, okay. So it's, so you, do you, you credit the theater school? With like, oh yeah. I, yeah. And, and part of it, you know, it's, and it's funny too. I don't know if you guys have had this experience where you, you like make a joke or do something, you know, theatrical and they say to you, oh, well, you know, they went to theater school. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's just who I am. Like, I'm yeah. not, yeah. if I didn't, if, if I was a poli sci major, I would be like this. But I certainly, you know, my time there certainly honed that part of me for sure. Yeah. So let's talk about young Siler and just mm, making the decision. <laughs> what would you say to young Siler? No, but what, <sighs> what is your, what was your path to choosing DePaul? Yeah. So, 
I got a thing in the mail, just like everybody else did, you know. God, and, God the mail. And, you, yeah. we that school should have a statue to the marketing department. Yep. Yeah, they really did. Because think about it in that day. How else do you find people, right? So, and uh, I grew up in Austin, Texas. There was going to be a reception in San Antonio, which is about an hour away. Uh, my mom and I drove down there just to meet the guy. That was for anybody. But then I set up my audition in Chicago, had never been to Chicago, didn't know anything about Chicago. I also had, I applied to Northwestern because that's also supposedly a good theater school. I mean, how, how do you know it? I don't know how anybody knew uh, these things. So my dad and I came up and, uh, and, and really, cause I also, I, I got into Northwestern, but I was more interested in DePaul for a couple of reasons. One, because you had to audition to get into DePaul's theater school. And I was sort of like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows how things are at at Northwestern? I don't understand. But DePaul was so there. They're just the, the extra touches, the the warmth, the like the guy that we met in in San Antonio was like, oh, well, make call me when you're in Chicago. I want to make sure. And he wasn't. He was just in the admissions. He wasn't in the theater program. When I when I came from my audition, they set up an an um, academic scholarship interview for me. They just looked at my transcript and said, oh yeah, you, you're probably eligible for some scripture. So they said, when you're done here, you're going to go over to, to Schmidt and you know, you're going to interview for this scholarship, which wow. I ended up getting. So it was just sort of like, I felt like DePaul really wanted me, whereas Northwestern was like, you know, Hey, well, we're Northwestern and you know, right. you'll be, you're lucky to have us. Um, so yeah, I, 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 and I, I had no idea um uh, my i did i did a uh i did a christopher durang piece yes. baby with the bathwater yes uh great piece interesting piece uh i had no i remember bessie hamilton was there she had her little drum you know and <sighs> and i remember being like this is so weird and i i had no idea i had no i mean and i was like yeah if they like me they like me if they don't they don't whatever um uh, and I had no way to sort of, you know, you don't have any idea. You don't, you don't know how to get, gauge who you are, what, you know, with other people. But uh, yeah, when I was accepted, I was like, uh, I, I did wait to see if I got into some other schools, but I, I was pretty sure that that's what I wanted to do. So, um, but yeah, my first, and, and when I came, it was December, there were, everything was closed. I didn't get a campus tour. I hadn't been inside any other buildings except the theater school or uh, you know, the, the Schmidt academic building. So I just show up my first day, university hall, hadn't met, this is funny too, hadn't met my roommate. We talked on the phone. I'm from Austin. There were a lot of different ethnicities in Austin, but I had never met a Filipino person. And so he goes, oh, by the way, I'm Filipino. I had no idea what that meant. Right. And, he, and he had a Chicago accent. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I show up <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. That, that's what a Filipino person looks like. You know, I had no idea super guy. Um, but I wasn't around, I, I, I didn't have a theater school roommate. So my first quarter, I was really, I, I, and I wasn't in a crew my first quarter, my, my first year quarter started on th on the day after Thanksgiving. So I had to stay, I moved to Seton hall and lived there for all of December. Uh, with that, and that was the only thing I did. And it was so much fun because that's, <laughs> All we had, we had nothing to do except uh, we would be at the theater from like 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. And then we would like go out to coffee shops until, you know, two in the morning. Do you remember there was there was a 
coffee shop called the Discover Cafe. Yes. Yes. Sold CDs and like, you know, mm-hmm. coffee and, and and you could sell your CDs in exchange for like credit and stuff. So that was like my jam. That was, I loved hanging out there. Younger listeners, CDs are um, <laughs> the way that music was anyway. Um, but I would, so, and so we, the show was Phaedra. I was on the lighting crew. My job during the show. And if, do you remember they used to do these shows? At, no one would see them because they were only in December. Your your classmates oh wouldn't God, see your show. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it, it was. I, I hope they don't do it anymore because it, it's you know like no one gets to experience what you what you're doing because wait, everyone's gone. Are you are you saying uh, th- this was just an optional thing? Because the quarter system, you know, everyone goes home at Thanksgiving. I was assigned to this particular play, which only played in the month of December, which was Phaedra that year. Okay. So nobody saw it. My friends didn't see it. No, I mean, only people that were crew and then the, the handful of subscribers to these. That you know, sounds, the yeah, shows. bad marketing the, right there. Sorry. The show was amazing. I sat, it, there was a, anyway, but, but I, I, I sat at this, at this uh, place in the basement turned off a switch off and on that was I, I i touched the switch four times that's all i did a big a big light moved from one side of the show to the other designed by john colbert brilliant lighting design like it was this beautiful show that absolutely no one saw but i sat down there and i read mere christianity by c.s lewis and just little light bulbs are just like boop, 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 as i'm like in the basement of the then blackstone theater so it was just this kind of really man i'm just i am i am figuring out what's my worldview who am i what's what what's what how does this all work together um and yeah how, so that how, was it was great how about the poetry of your on lighting crew and you have these light bulbs oh my your, gosh never never, yeah, never so cool. that had never occurred to me till right now i love that that's fantastic. you can credit me and when you use that Thank anecdote you. in your sermon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay so um, you you had even though you left your high school theater program at the end, you had had some experience doing theater. Yeah. But what about the kind of theater and the training and the warm ups and all that kind of stuff? That oh, yeah. had you done any of that before? No, no, no. Of course not. No, I was <laughs> I was I loved hearing Lee Kirk talk about showing up to yoga in his jeans and you know he's hungover or whatever. Like I I yeah, just like what's going on now? You know, mm-hmm. so cause Lee's from Dallas, I'm from Austin. I'm similar kind of like this sort of we we don't do this kind of thing down here in Texas, you know. But right. so it took me, I think the first quarter in particular, you know, yoga was like, what's what what are we doing exactly? And that was one too where I was like, my faith, I'm like, am I supposed to say oh. namaste? I don't think I'm I don't think I'm gonna say that. I don't think I'm supposed to do that, you know, like, whereas now I'm like, whatever, namaste, who cares, you know, but again, I'm just trying to figure it all out. Um, and I was like, I'm, 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 I think I wore a cross, like a big cross at one point. And I really was like, that first year was all for me about like, what does this look like? Who am I? And again, I'm still like, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. I remember meeting with Doc O'Malley, who was just a sweet, sweet man. Mm -hmm to kind of ask him some questions. And that's the thing. I, I always felt like uh, there were at least one or two th- professors that would have my back that I could go to and say, Hey, I'm trying to you know sort through some things. Uh, you know, Doc O'Malley was that way. Phyllis was certainly that way where I just knew I had, I had people in my corner. Um, 
And then I didn't get cut. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going back. <laughs> so did you, do you remember your shows? I mean, you talked about crew, but what were yeah. you in at the theater school that you, yes. that you, that you remember and love? So I, or don't I love. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So I absolutely peaked uh, my first, my first, my first, Main stage show was Into the Woods. And, oh, that's uh, right. You were yeah. Jack's Jack, I was Jack, right? I was Jack, that's yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Were yeah. you guys both on crew for that? Yes. Okay. I was right. on um, makeup crew. Uh, I was yeah. on, um, I ended up being on costumes. I started on makeup and then went to costumes. Okay. I remember having to wash Little Red Riding Hood's underwear. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, so fun. What a, what a gift that must yeah, have been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Juliet Hart was my played my mother, and she was amazing. And she's uh, you know, and and then so and then Brocky Murphy was was in the cast with me, and she is on staff at my church right now. She is really twenty five feet away from me right now. Her two children are in my youth ministry. Isn't that insane? That's amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sweet. So, that was a great. So, by the way, that was a really good production. It was I beautiful. Mean, it was so it really fun. Was. It was. I mean, to get to to do that show on that stage with a full orchestra to sing along. I mean, come on. Like, it doesn't get much greater than that. Like, it was. It was really amazing. So, I definitely peaked. Uh, you know, with that show, and and then I did Snow White and Rose Red. I was, I played a bear. The thing about <laughs> the bear is, it didn't look like a bear so the children were confused like the body was look was bear-like and then they gave me this long head that was like a snout so it looked like and I, there were times when i could hear the children trying to to like figure it out in the audience like i literally literally heard a, a boy go that ain't no pig like they were <laughs> You could extrapolate the rest of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a pig. No, no, no. That's a horse. They called me a hippo in one show discussion. I like the part where the hippo went over there, you know. My favorite. That's my favorite story we've ever heard on the show. You were, what you were was a pig bear. And that, a that pig, is the... hippo, horse bear. Yeah. Well, they, it must have been a repurposed horse head, right? I have no idea because it was a beautiful costume and I had these like extensions that I wore and it, it was so fun. And then uh, they just, yeah, they kind of, they sort of phoned it in on the head. and um, Which is arguably the most important part most of any. Important part. Yeah. Yeah. So that was strange. And then I did Mother Courage and Her Children. Oh, yes. Which was Wait, uh, were we, really was fun. Crew for that? Or I was. So I played yeah, this guy, Isla. I got to I got to sing a song, do a dance with a with a with a um, gun, like a like a you know sort of a whatever. I smoked a cigar. I fired a, a real shotgun in the show. It was it had blanks, but I actually like sh sh boom, fired a shotgun, and then I was hanged to end the show. Like I got this whole like you know mm -hmm. thing. That's how that's sort of the, the last moment of the show. So I had a great time in that show. That was a lot of fun. And um, you were three like, main stages. Yeah, you were like a star. Yeah. You were a I star. I was like a star, you guys. I was a big deal. I was a pretty big deal, you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you were. But I, I mean, like I said, my experience of doing that workshop, that was the first show I did my my fourth year. One of the best experiences I had was doing that that workshop. So I'm so glad I had that. And then I so that did that. And then I did Prince and the Popper. Uh, 
with uh, Sean Gunn was in that and um, trying to, Jen Ellison was in that as well. And that was a lot of fun. And then my last show was Romeo and Juliet with, uh, with Leonard Roberts and Karen Mould. And I found out later that they, the part, I had a very small part. They offered it to one of my friends who said, I don't want to do that. And then they were like, so they gave it to me and I just, that was fine. Wait, but you couldn't even say, I don't want to do that at school. What the hell? I, I missed that class. Someone, I just, <laughs> exactly. No, remember right. Erica told us that Erica told us she turned down playing uh, the, what was she? The hip hop, right, the, the hip hop, the tiger, hip -hop Lily. tiger, tiger Lily. Lily. Right. Yep, yeah. Yep. So, uh, so that was my last, that, which was, I mean, it was a great experience to be in that Stephen Davis, uh was, was in it you know steven showed up off book day one for of course his, his, i remember that whole, guy remember was that? like oh. was like a 64 year old thespian scholar <laughs> yeah. at age 18 I, I, he was he was wonderful wonderful so um yeah so all of those experiences were really really positive for me but it sounds like as soon as you were done with school you were on to your next path really that, was. You, that you're yeah. still on yeah I really was with the exception of, of kind of getting, and, and, and I'll, so I know you're going to be talking to a couple of my buddies that they, they have the show showcase stories to tell you. So Kevin needs to talk about getting an interview at Disney and PJ needs to talk about his experience of being on the price is right. Did you guys ever hear about our, like, I think I did of hear us about the, price taping is right. of the price is right. And PJ got on stage he made it to the showcase showdown. You'll have to, he, you know, he can, he can give you the details, but that was amazing. That's that was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. We're talking to him in a few weeks, I think. Yeah. Oh, that'll be good. But Kevin, uh, a few, uh, let's see. So 13 years later, fast forward, he is directing a play called the last days of Judas Iscariot at the gift theater in Chicago. And it's all, it's all about Judas and Jesus. And he said, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. I want to hear what you think. And I was just, blown away by that you want to talk about christian art that is beautiful and you know rough around the edges so uh it was stephen adley girgis pulitzer prize winning playwright yeah. wrote it and he got help from a catholic priest a guy named james martin and so i'm like kevin whatever i can do to help you i want to be like this is amazing well the guy that they sort of thought was going to play jesus couldn't do it and the timing of it worked out that I was going to be on a, on a two month sabbatical right when the play was going up. So he's like, Hey, I think you're probably supposed to play Jesus in this play, buddy. And, and I'm like, okay, I guess I am. So I did. And, you know, life-changing, I mean, just unbelievable experience for me. Hadn't been on a stage in 13 years. So you know, to, to go back out and do it was to like, do it. Can I still, is the bicycle going to go when I get on it again, you know, or am I just going to fall off? I had a, a small pl a part. So I mostly got to enjoy just kind of watching these amazing actors do what they're doing. And uh, the show was a huge hit. We've got moved to a different theater and longer run. And I got to meet the playwright. And I mean, it was just this like, unbelievable. I got, because I was Jesus, they put me and the guy who played Judas, uh, actor named Michael Patrick Thornton, who's the yeah, artistic director he's of the gift. Brilliant. 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 So I got to act with him and they put us on the cover of the poster, you know, and Kevin's like, You gotta be kidding me. First show out, you know, I was like, I've been doing theater and I've never been you're on the poster, you know. So 
I was yes, I, I can relate to life. Kevin in this. I mean, yeah. honestly, every show you did was on the main stage. <laughs> yeah. Uh you were Jesus deal. and and on the and you just you don't even care. You just went on to do something else. You just threw it all but away. But isn't that always the way? It's yeah. always the way. It's like it was. it's like what we were talking about, right? He didn't his his way of not go. holding on so tightly to wanting like a great character or whatever got him all these great roles. I mean, yeah. that's fantastic and it seems like you didn't well, I, I can ask you. It did it, you didn't seem to have a stranglehold on the part or say, "Well, now I'm going to be an actor for the rest of my life. I'll be discovered and be famous here I I know I, I certainly that was my dream my whole life I mean from when I was like seven you guys I wrote a letter to Ricky Schroeder when I was seven years old I was obsessed with him like I wanted to be him we were going to be friends like so like that was all I all I all I wanted and yeah then I sort of like things shifted all of a sudden I kind of get a bigger sense of the world and of what's important and 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 yeah, I, I I'm so grateful because had I not, I would have been exactly I would have been that that cutthroat. I've got to make it. I've got to be you know the thing. And what do I? I absolutely would have been that person. So it it, it was a, a huge gift for me what to do it, that. What is it about letting go? Do you think allows for other things in your life? What is that? Surrender is everything, you guys. Like I mean, that's that's that's. You, you want to talk about, I mean, if I had to sort of boil down surrender. the Christian faith, I could, I could use a lot of words, but surrender is a huge word mm. in the Christian faith is that because it, it's, it's ultimately not even about trying harder. People have this idea of the Christian faith is like, well, you've got to try harder. You've got to do better. You've got to be better. It's really all about surrendering and allowing the person, the one that made you to do the work inside of you. I mean, that's the, that's what the Holy Spirit is sort of, that's, that's the point is to say, I let go and I allow, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a scripture that says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says he has this thorn that's giving him problems. And he's like, I, God, take this away, take this away. And he says, well, what God says to him is when, you know, in my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. So it's, this power in weakness, power in vulnerability, power in surrender. Oh. Um, it's, 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 yeah, huge. because when you don't have that, then you think you're in charge of everything. And the and illusion the, of control that we all, you know, think we have. Yes. Automatically makes you tense because when you feel like you're in control of everything, then you feel like you have to be constantly controlling everything. Right. And that's, it leads to a kind of tension that doesn't lend itself to a relaxation, a, 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 like stepping into your real power, really owning something. It just makes yeah. you frightened all of the time. I think that's, yep. we, it's funny because our, we did our, let me run this by you uh, before talking to you. And it was about that. Boz is learning about strangling her, like wanting something so bad that she's strangling it. Yes. Like strangling right. the hustle of the of the writing, yeah. of the acting. It does oh. it 
work. I thought it would work, but here's the thing. There's a balance, right? So you have, so what you were saying about like giving a sermon or giving a talk, you yeah. have to have some amount of effort, right? There's gotta sure. be effort, right. but then it crosses for me into stranglehold, which then mm -hmm. you kill the thing. You can't kill <laughs> the thing either. You know, it's, it's like allowing the plant to grow and not checking mm -hmm. it every five minutes by yanking it up from the root and saying, how you doing? Are you growing? And shoving it. It doesn't work. I wish it did because I would be a mad Master. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm if I if I should can talk about this, but the piece that you wrote is all about surrender. It's all about surrender, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. about saying this is who I am, mm -hmm. and and I'm not yeah. gonna, you know, it's so I I think I, I think that's that's a theme in that as well. By the way, Boz, I love that image that you just said about whole, pulling a plant up out of the ground, asking <laughs> yeah, if it's growing. Yeah, that's that's amazing. You have to do a. You have to write your next blog post yeah. about that. And, and let me be clear: there are plenty of times in my life, even in ministry, when I do that. So it's it's not that that I am good at it because there, there's certainly plenty of opportunity. You know why why I didn't. I mean, yeah. Oh, whatever it is. Why isn't this working the way I wanted to? Why isn't, why, aren't, why didn't that guy get that thing and not me? Why did, you know, I mean, there's, pl uh, it, it pops up constantly. It is never, it never goes away. Um, and it's a, it's a lesson we all just kind of have to keep learning. Definitely. So you have maintained a lot of your friendships from the theater school to today, right? You're still pretty close with a lot of your cohort. Well, I would say for sure, PJ and Kevin, they both, they both stay in Chicago and, and we are, you know, we, those guys, uh, I was so grateful for, cause I really thought when I showed up at DePaul, it was going to be a bunch of weird theater kids and me. Like I was just sort of like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to find here. And I met Kevin very first day, you know, PJ, not long after we would go to DePaul basketball games together we would go to cubs games together it was sort of it was refreshing to see some people that were into <clears throat> sports and and just felt a little more not uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking uh, mickey's big mouth 40s <laughs> on the stoop those that wasn't my crowd loved that crowd nothing wrong with that crowd right. but that just wasn't my crowd so right. yeah so so they and in fact kevin and i one of the things that you know we again known each other forever his older daughter and my youngest daughter were born on the exact same day, like wow. same day, same year. So it's pretty amazing. Isn't that? That is. I mean, can you imagine if you, if you've like said to us, Hey guys, on your first day of college, you two are going to have a daughter born oh on the my exact gosh. same day, 20, whatever years from now. I, that's right? funny. I actually know two other guys who met in theater school who have daughters who were born on the exact Is that same right? day. Yeah. The what people that are on? in my, the people, the co-artistic directors of my theater company have wow. that same exact story. There's some, there's some that is weird. interesting symmetry there. We'll have to. Yeah. That'll be another I, episode. This sure will. That's crazy. The other thing that's fun for me is that some of the youth group kids that I have had are now in the industry. So I've got this total like fun, living vicariously. So one of them uh, went into stunt work and so worked on a bunch of movies and, and now does stunt coordinating, has worked with Scorsese a couple of times. So one quick story. Yeah. He, he worked on this movie, Silence, which you should go see if you haven't seen it. It's, it's, it's quite beautiful. And he played one of the people who gets burned at the stake because it's about these martyrs. 
And so he does the scene and he does one quiet. And then Marty says to him, do it, do it loud. Like, you know, go just act like you're, in, you're suffering. So he finishes it. He goes and they're like, hey, Marty wants to see you in his tent. And he's like, oh, no, what's what happened? So he goes into his tent and he walks in and there's Marty. And Marty goes, gives him a slow clap. I'm like, bro, you got a slow clap <laughs> from Martin Scorsese. Do you know how many hundreds of thousands of actors throughout history would kill someone to get a slow clap and he was yes. he's like yeah it was cool i mean you know he's not an actor he's he wasn't just, strangling he the wasn't thing. strangling it no he was just like yeah it's cool so it's really fun to just get stories from some of these folks that are in, in the industry and um i'm kind of waiting for the day when like one of my youth group kids does a show you know does like a, a something with with one of my theater school friends and they're like send me a picture together or something, you know, um, that would be really fun. Do you, I know you mentioned using your theater school training as uh, to preach, but what about yeah. other areas in the church? Is there theater? Is there something like a program? There isn't really, I I've just, I, you know, we've, we've had, we, not that I have done, there have been other folks that have been a part of that. And my kids have all been in part, a part of it. I just haven't quite found the thing that, you know, has been right for me in the church. I've done, like, I got to do a monologue. Um, you know, one, what there was, in fact, there was a sermon that my, <clears throat> our pastor was doing about Judas. And he said, Hey, is there something from that show that you could do? And there wasn't anything that I had done, but there was another monologue that I got to, and I learned it and, and presented it for church. Um, that was a, that was a real honor and a thrill to get to, to be a part of that. So, <clears throat> there have been occasional things here and there. Um, I think mostly I've just been able to, uh, I, I certainly have a connection with the theater kids that come along. You know, those are, I, I'm able to kind of be, the, you, you know, those are my people. Um, so I, I, I certainly find in, in, in my work. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be able to, to quantify it, but it's I, what I've learned. I'm, I'm putting into practice every day. Um, what about, would you, would you, if someone came along and said, Hey, do you want to be, um, in this movie? Would you do it? Well, of course I would. Only if it's Martin Scorsese. Slow clap. Yeah. yeah. I could get the slow clap. Yeah. And only if I get to play Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. In but, every, in every role. The fun, I'll just, you know, I, I know we got to wrap it up. Uh, two years after that show I did with Kevin, when I played Jesus, my friend from that show sent me a listing. She was like, you're welcome. They were casting Godspell, directed by Tim Gregory. Yeah. She had no idea I had any connection to Tim. Tim, former theater school guy. Yes. Who cast me as Jesus in Godspell. So two years later, <laughs> I played Jesus again, but this time in Godspell at G at Tim's theater company. That's so amazing. That's amazing. You know I, I began to to joke That's about crazy. yeah i'm only ever playing jesus no but you know then, the, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say but then i got right after that i'd already agreed to be an annie with my daughter kayla my oldest and then two years later i did a show with my next daughter and then two years later i did a show with my other kids okay. so i will just i just i do want to say this and to all your listeners out there who have children doing a show with your kids the thing that makes it so fun is that when the other things that you do with your kids you're the parent they're the kid like it's always, you know, it's a daddy daughter thing or it's a I'm the I'm in charge. I'm you're the kid. When you're in a show together, you are on level ground. You are mm -hmm. both actors. You're both like it's this 
really unique thing where you're, man, we're in this together, sweetheart, you and me, you know, I'm no better than you're, you know, like we're both having to kind of go into this. It's, it's a really fun. That, that's a beautiful interpretation, upwards interpretation of what could have been get out of my light kid. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm glad we didn't go there. That would have ended on a really weird note. Not at all. Um, yeah. uh, the other thing I was going to say is you work yeah. more now you work more than most actors I know, and you're not yeah. an actor. Isn't that always yeah. so? It's a, it's just the life of Siler. That, that's how uh, it is. You're, you're very kind. You're very kind. We do have to wrap up, but I do. Yeah. I just want to say, and I and I hope um, this doesn't come across the way that I don't mean it. So we'll we'll t we'll see. It's a journey. Yeah. Um, what occurs to me is the way in which your faith informed your life in theater school is in a, in a way it was a vehicle for sorting out your identity as you were making your way in, in this very specific, very intense training. In the same way that other people use other big sort of life uh, style, I, that's what that's the thing I'm afraid of. That's offensive that I'm calling no, your faith I'm, a lifestyle. No, not at all. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Be free. Um, because some people do it through music. Some people like really use because I just feel like you one of the things that helps people survive theater school or anything is being able to have a touch point that they check back in with. For example, I love the idea. You guys have probably heard this before of, you know, a child. Uh, wandering out into the water, looking back to his mom uh, on the sh on the beach, you know, going and venturing out, looking for something new and exciting, but then always turning back to the thing that they, you know, trust and believe in. And I think that most people have to have something like that while they're learning and discovering something about um, theater. Yeah, they have, to, an have anchor, to check back course. in. Yeah, an anchor. Yeah. yeah. So that's very beautiful. And and I wish. Yeah. I hope that people, I think kids these days do feel more free to <laughs> to follow something that doesn't seem like it's going to really fit with theater, like religion or something else. But I hope anybody who's listening to this takes from, from what you're saying that you must be yourself. Mm -hmm. You must stick to your values Amen. in Absolutely. any context. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So yeah. I resonate with that for sure. Yeah. Oh. Perfect note to end on. Oh, wow. Yeah. This has been really lovely. I really enjoyed our talk. <laughs> I feel the same way, you guys. And I just, it's, I mean, really, I'm a huge fan of your, of your podcast. So it's, it's really fun to, to see you and to chat with you and just to, you know, I love what you're doing. And I, you know, I, I think it's, it's beautiful and I love where it will, you know, to see where it goes. Yeah. Yes. Us thank too. Stay thank tuned. you so yeah. much. Thank you. Oh, oh wait, should gosh. we say thank where, you. where can people find you if they want to oh, yeah. follow you in some If they want to know about you. Sure. I mean, yeah, I have a very extensive social <laughs> media, um, output Siler Thomas on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, you know, okay. uh, you, you'll see a lot of pictures of my family. So, you know, <laughs> If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. 
This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.